Okay, welcome to episode 13 of the Bike Pack Canada podcast with yours truly, Ryan Corey. Uh, spent the last couple of days recuperating from my jaunt along the Icefields uh, Parkway, so from uh, Canmore up to Jasper and back by uh, Fat Bike. Uh, this was, as I mentioned previously, this is going to be one of my routes in the guidebook. It's it's quite a bit different than the other routes. It's it's uh, kind of a, an old favorite for uh, cycle tourists, but um, you know a route that not many people have done uh, in the winter. And in fact, I can only think of uh, two people, two or three people that I've ever heard of doing it. So um, I, I headed up the the parkway on my fat bike and uh, shot a bunch of pictures and shot a bunch of video. And uh, thank you for all the kind words and for people that were that were following on the the social channels. It was. Um, I always appreciate getting that feedback when I when I'm alone in the woods and I, I get my uh, every once in a while my phone pings. It's it's kind of cool to hear from the community. Um, so like I said, uh, shot a bunch of video. Um, I'm hoping to get that up uh, next week. So it's going to be about a 15 20 minute uh, video. Um, and of course, like I mentioned about the social ve- feeds, I, I try not to uh, monopolize the the bike pack channels. Um, so a lot of those pictures, as I mentioned, they're on my um, at Ryan Corey uh, Instagram and uh, Facebook. Cool. Well, uh, my guest today is uh, Michael McCoy from Idaho. Mac, as he's also known, uh, is recently retired. I'm not sure if that's the right word, but we'll say retired for now from uh, the Adventure Cycling Association, uh, which is based in Missoula, Montana. Uh, During his time with the organization, um, of the many projects he took on, um, he, of course, mapped the Great Divide mountain bike route. Uh, this route has a special place in uh, many of our hearts. Uh, there is, of course, the, the Tour Divide race, um, but above all, it's just you know a, a really special um, backcountry uh, corridor, and it's it's something that draws a lot of us back, uh, racers and uh, touring cyclists alike. Uh, my my interaction with um, uh, Mac was uh, I'm trying to remember here is at least a couple months ago I think it was in September it was at the Alberta Bikes Conference uh, both he and I were were speaking in Canmore um, I was speaking on the emergence of bike packing uh, in Canada and uh, he was speaking on the genesis of the Great Divide route. Uh, so we're fortunate here uh, to have him uh, to tell some of those stories, the, the man himself in person. Um, so, Michael, thank you. Thank you very much for uh, coming on the podcast today. Thank you, Ryan. So you're you're in uh, you're in uh, where it, where is it again in Idaho? Uh, Teton Valley, Idaho, which is just on the west side of the Tetons, about 30 miles from Jackson Hole, Wyoming. We actually moved here uh 22 years ago when I was in the midst, we, we lived in Missoula before where, of course, as you mentioned, uh, Adventure Cycling Association is headquartered. But when I was in the middle of mapping the Great Divide route, we moved here, uh, a place we wanted to had wanted to move to for quite a while, and it was just a convenient time to do so because it was uh, you know about a, almost a halfway uh, down south of, of the route from where the route began back then at the U.S.-Canadian border. So it was a it was a convenient place to work out of to continue the research going south. Gotcha. And uh, it, that's pretty close to, is it Victor, Idaho? That's my mailing address is Victor, Idaho. Yep. Okay. I'm just uh, off the top of my head. I'm thinking that I believe that's where uh, Jay Peterberry is. It, it is. Yeah. He, he and I live pretty close together. Oh, okay, cool. 
Um, so I, I mentioned in the intro there that uh, you're retired from the Adventure Cycling Association. Is is that a, f- a fair assessment? I, I don't really get the vibe that you're the kind of guy that just stops everything. You you got a lot of writing and uh, various projects on the go. Is that is that still a, a pretty safe bet? Yeah, it is. Uh, I was uh, <clears throat> since 1982 until the end of last September. I was a salaried employee of Adventure Cycling, either full-time or part-time, depending on the, the, the time, you know, the time span. But uh, I am no longer that, but I'm still doing some contract and freelance work for them. But right now I'm working the, the newest uh, on-road route that Adventure Cycling has mapped. is It uh, doesn't sound very exciting, but I, I think it's going to be pretty cool. Is the Chicago to New York City route through a lot of rural country be, between those two cities. So I'm writing the field notes for those maps, and the field notes are the background history, natural history, geology, and so on that goes on the, goes on the back of the map. So give, give uh, users a little bit of background information on the areas they're riding through. Oh, excellent. Um, so let's maybe back up a second. So how did you come to work at uh, the Adventure Cycling Association? Well, yeah, that's, that's a really good question. Um, it goes way back. Uh, I was... I met my future wife at, at the at Grand Targhee Ski Resort uh, on the west slope of the Tetons in the winter of 1973-74, where we had both landed jobs for the winter. And as the winter wore on and on, it was a very snowy winter. We were kind of getting tired of snow and uh, started talking about what we, what we might do in the summer after the ski season was over. We were thumbing through an REI catalog and came across a photo of some people that were bicycle touring and yeah, that's it. So that sounds like fun. So we let's do it. So we ordered up a couple of Peugeot U08, which was a classic bike back in the mid seventies from a uh, Redmond cyclery in the, in the Seattle suburb near where Nancy's uh, was from and where her folks lived. Picked those up about two weeks later, took a shakedown ride around Lake Sammamish, which was 30 miles in the longest farthest either of us had ever ridden and threw the panniers on the back of the bike and took off riding across the Cascades. <clears throat> so we were, uh, our original plan, this, you'll enjoy this being Canadian, uh, original plan was to go up to the Canadian border and ride across Canada. And we, when we got to the border north of Sandpoint or north of Bonners Ferry, Idaho, the authorities wouldn't let us in because we didn't have enough cash with us. And this was, for us anyway, before credit cards, we had, I don't know, maybe $150 cash. And uh, they were, I guess their fear was that we, they knew we couldn't make it all the way on that much money. So they were afraid we would take jobs from Canadians, I guess. Anyway, <laughs> they turned us away. We ended up riding, uh, continuing in the U.S. instead. And our route happened to take us through Missoula, where we learned about this organization that was forming uh, called Bike Centennial. And it was, it was uh, going to be a mass ride across the country in 1976, the year of the American Bicentennial, and got got the address of the organizers. We didn't meet the organizers, but we met a person who knew them. It was actually another town, I think Deer Lodge, Montana, where this guy gave us their address. But we, So Nancy and I kept riding, and we did. We were working our way across the country, so we, we were going at a pretty slow pace. We'd stop and get jobs washing windows, mowing lawns, painting fire hydrants yellow in, in uh, Belfouche, South Dakota, and what, whatever we could, uh, you know, whatever we could find to help fund our way. So we didn't get all the way across, but we got to northeast Wisconsin and stopped writing. And after that, 
I wrote a letter to the organizers and said we would like to uh, be involved with the, the, the summer of 76 if there was anything that we could do. And, in fact, they hired us. And that was December of 1975. We went on to uh, help set up the bike-ins, which are like hostels. We, we had the bike-ins about every 60 miles on the route. So we set up the bike-ins on the western half of the Trans-America Trail, which the western half goes from Astoria, Oregon, to uh, uh, Pueblo, Colorado, and the, the eastern half goes from Pueblo to uh, Yorktown, Virginia. Anyway, that was how we got started with them. We worked at it, how I got, how both of us got started. Uh, and I, we went on to be the Western field coordinators during that summer, which of uh, 76, we saw about 4,000 people ride all or, or parts of the, the Trans Am Trail. And after that summer was over, I went on to other things. My, my background is in anthropology. I went on to do archaeological field work for a couple of years uh, and then went back to work for Bike Centennial in 19, March of 1982, and that's when my long stint began. And, and, and I, I was, like I said before, I was a full or part-time employee all the way until September of uh, 2016. Wow. So how did, how did the organization evolve uh, from when you started? So uh, with Bike Centennial to, to what it's known um, for today? actually started just as it was envisioned as a one-time event for that summer of 1976, but it sparked such interest that among people who didn't get a chance to ride in 76, uh, that it kept going and, and it, it became an, an ongoing organization and, and has grown since then. I mean, I think maybe in the late 70s, there were, oh, I, I can't say for sure, under 10,000 members, and we've grown to more than 50,000 members now, and the, the name, as you can imagine, the name Bike Centennial kind of became less understandable as time went on. So in 1993, we changed our name to Adventure Cycling Association to better reflect what we were doing and, and are still doing. And so we, uh, we published the magazine, The Adventure Cyclist, for the, for the membership. We run a lot of long-distance and short-distance tours, and... Uh, do a lot of other things for, for the membership and for the, the cycle touring and, and uh, bikepacking communities in general. Yeah, and for, for the, the listeners um, following this, uh, if for those that don't know, and, and I was kind of pleasantly surprised when I was doing my homework uh, back in September to, uh, to pull up some stats for um, the Alberta Bikes Conference because I knew that group would like some stats. Um, really, the only stat um, that I could find that was relevant to bikepacking that um, had any had any merit was that the Adventure Cycling Association um, at the time, and I'm sure it still is, um, is the largest. Um, correct me if I'm wrong on my terminology here, but is the largest cycling membership um, group in in the U.S. Is that right, Michael? Yes, I'm not. I'm not sure uh, how big the the racing uh, organization is, but we're the largest. Uh, recreational membership cycling organization okay as opposed to racing uh so you, you started with bike centennial and uh like what how did so we know how the the organization evolved but how did your your role within uh the association evolve well i i uh in 82 i i told you already i think what i did in 76 which was more or less we were uh liaisons between the riders and the group leaders 
between you know them and the Missoula office. So we spent most of that summer in Oregon and uh, Idaho. But uh, when I was hired back in 1982, I was hired to be the assistant uh, director or assistant coordinator of the trips department. And at that time, we were running mostly cross-country trips on the Trans-America Trail. And that, uh, but, and then over the years, I did a little bit of everything. I, I did a lot of uh, press release work for the organization, did a lot of writing. I was and Before I became my official title was the coordinator of the Great Divide Mountain Bike Route, I was actually the assistant director. Uh, and I didn't, I never really considered myself or, or never had a desire to be in an administrative position like that. So at the, in a way that, in a way the Great Divide Mountain Bike Route was an excuse to get out of the office and, and away from the possibility of being the director. Ah! <laughs> <laughs> it sounds like you missed being outside uh, back, like back from the days where you're painting fire hydrants. Yeah, that's right. Yeah. I've always liked doing projects more than, uh, I think I'm more suited to doing projects than to, uh, you know, overseeing other people. Yeah, gotcha. Um, okay, so a uh, natural segue here is where where does the idea for the Great Divide mountain bike route come from? Okay, uh, yeah, that, that I wanted to mention, I don't know how broadly this is known. The uh, This is, sounds like it's backing up, but I'm getting, I'm getting to your point. The, uh, the organizers of Bike Centennial were Greg and June Seipel and Dan and Liz Burden, who in 1972 set out on Hemis Tour, which was the first north to south uh, ride from Alaska to Argentina. And, and that was the first known use of the word bikepacking occurred in that they, they got sponsorship from the National Geographic Society and a, an article that appeared in the May 1973 National Geographic was called bikepacking across Alaska and Canada, and they were they, they were doing what what we would even consider bikepacking today. They weren't all on paved roads; they were in, on quite a bit of mucky mud and, and gravel roads and stuff. And they had some fatter tires than were in in, in uh, regular you know standard use back that back in the early seventies. But it's interesting to note that Greg Seipel told me that Noel <clears throat> Noel Grove, who was a National Geographic. Uh, editor and writer coined the term bikepacking. As far as as far as Greg knows, and any of those other guys, they'd never seen the word before. Yeah, it's it's interesting. I <clears throat> I, I remember when I started doing more formal talks on on, on bikepacking one hundred and one, as I called it. I was uh, trying to do my homework on where the term. Uh, came from and it was never totally clear i think i'd come across that that national geographic article but uh yeah i wanted to get your clarification on that so that that helps uh tie it up and uh yeah, yeah. i mean someone may have used it before that but from from all the research i've done as well that seems to be the first uh time it was you know in, in print that i've that i've been able to find yeah so the, the interesting thing is that that was when the bike backing term was um you know, first used, but the, the idea of, you know, what bikepacking is. So, you know, how we traditionally think of it is, is off-road, uh, mountain bike touring. Um, you know, it's, it's really been around since, since the invention of bikes because bikes have been around before, you know, asphalt roads. So, uh, in theory, uh-huh. the first, the first cyclists going any distance were the, the first, uh, bike packers, right? Would you agree with that? Totally agree with that. Like Thomas Stevens, who, who rode his penny farthing across the U.S. He he dealt with a lot of. I mean, he didn't have pavement. I don't think he he, he was he was going cross country and along railroad tracks quite a bit of the time. Can that you, was in the late. 80s. 
can you imagine a penny farthing? I can't even imagine on a regular single bu- single speed bike doing that sort of thing. I know. <laughs> okay, so let's let's get back to the 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 divide. Where 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 does the genesis for the divide route start? Yeah. Okay. So um, the uh, there's a number of things that kind of coalesced to to give me give us the idea for it. Uh, I mentioned that earlier that there was a break between my time with Bike Centennial when I went back to work for them in 1982. One of the things I did was two summers I worked on the Yak District of the Kootenai National Forest in in northwest Montana. That in fact that butts against uh, uh, I guess British I guess Alberta. But anyway, uh, one of the jobs I had was to survey roads on a little Honda 90 or some small motorcycle, survey closed roads and roads that had been washed out to document erosional problems on the district. So I was buzzing around with this this little motorcycle in the back of my pickup truck, and when I'd get to a closed road, I'd jump on the bike. And, and that was an eye-opener to me. This, I mean, I wasn't even mountain biking yet, but it was an eye-opener because it showed me how many unused or little-used little dirt and gravel roads there are out there. And I figured if that was a uh, or I figured thought of this later. If if the Yak District was representative of the national forests in general in the West, and there's a lot of opportunities for riding out there. And then when I did get hired back by Bike Centennial, we moved to Missoula and took. This was you know this was pretty much when mountain biking was started starting, and we took right to it. I think we we uh, Nancy and I bought the first Cannondale mountain bikes seen on the streets and the trails around Missoula started riding around there a lot, including on the forest roads, like the ones I described on the Yak. And then in the 1980s, I just started thinking that, you know, the, there's no reason to limit this to day rides. Why not do some overnights? Because it's, uh, you know, there's the opportunities are, are pretty much limitless. So we did a, in July of uh, 1985, we did a five-day, we weren't calling it bikepacking, but we did a five-day uh, off pavement tour in Wyoming from, from the what's called the Tri-Basin Divide, where the, uh, the, the I guess the rivers or the waters from there go either to the Columbia, the uh, Colorado, or the, Great ba- or the Great Basin. Anyway, we rode from there to Jackson Hole, to the, uh, the Grovot River into Jackson Hole. And that was, uh, that was that, another eye-opener just to said, this is fun. And that kind of started sparking the idea, you know, it got me thinking. And about about the same time, I read about the the Moe brothers from Laramie, Wyoming, who pushed and and hiked and biked along the Continental Divide Trail in a in a couple articles in Bicycle Rider magazine. I think they did their trip in '84. Then at, at Bikes and Tenure, we started running some mountain bike trips. They were in their in the late '80s. They were still mostly day rides, but started thinking more and more about why not extended self-contained trips, you know, self-contained rides like our Trans America Bicycle Trail. Then. When we changed our name to Adventure Cycling in 1993, the executive director at the time, Gary McFadden, and I started brainstorming for kind of the next big route idea, reflective of our new name. And we uh, we, let's, we said, why not combine? Why, why not make a long distance mountain biking route? And what would what better uh, you know guiding principle than to kind of follow the Continental Divide as closely as possible? We really wanted to bridge the gap between bicycle touring and mountain biking because, to that point, in our in most of our uh, what we were seeing was bicycle tours. We go on pavement, go out for long, you know, overnights or longer rides, and mountain biking was mostly day rides. 
<clears throat> and uh, so when we started thinking about what kind of uh, surfaces, surfaces we wanted to ride on, we, we decided if it's going to be a cross between touring and mountain biking, we probably want to avoid really technical single track trails because people are going to be, at that time we were picturing, going to be carrying panniers. And some of these trails that we're riding would be pretty tough uh, if you're carrying a lot of weight. So that goes back to kind of the discovery I made on those roads in the Yak Ranger District that said, well, there's a lot of uh, a lot of really nice, well-graded, and sometimes well-surfaced, sometimes not so well-surfaced roads out there that are, are good for bicycling. There's no little little to no traffic on them, so it'd just be a great place to ride. So uh, <clears throat> that that uh, we came up with the idea, like, like I say, of the, of the Great Divide. And Gary, of course, the being executive director, he had to sell the board board of directors on the idea because and and there there was no known market. For bike packing at that time, or bike packing route, uh, so it was a leap of faith for the board of directors to to say yes, we will support this uh, and just see how it works. And we, in late 1994, I started looking around Montana for a route, and we we completed a a route. We weren't even committed to doing the whole thing yet. We wanted to try it out in Montana first to see if it would work, to see if we could find a suitable route. So from late 1994 to late 1995, I, and with some help from others, mapped a route from the Canadian border to the uh, Idaho border, uh, so all the way through Montana. And we said, boy, it looks like it really worked well here, so why why don't we keep going? And that was aided a lot by uh, Travel Montana, the state tourism agency, Got a hold, heard about our idea, and they said that they thought it was a really good idea, and they sold it to uh, an A-list of writers and photographers. So we, we t- took a uh, ride with uh, maybe a three-day ride and sampling different parts of this route in Montana with, in I think it was September or October of 1995. Um, we had writers from, from Sports Illustrated, Bicycling, Outside, Men's Journal, uh, just an A-list, and, and the uh, publicity that followed after that really helped us get the ball rolling. Awesome. <clears throat> so, <clears throat> excuse me, I I, I realized that the, the, the route for, for quite a long time was from uh, border to border. Um, when, do you, do you recall when the, the Canadian section uh, came into the mix and how that came about? Let's see, uh, I think it was, um, I, I can tell you exactly, I have a file here, excuse me, uh, I think it was, uh, yeah, it was, um, I have a newspaper here, it's the free press from, what, what town is the free press out of, it's from Fernie, yeah, Fernie, uh, 2003 is when the research was done, and I did that initially, um, and then I, I I think it just I don't I really don't remember why we did it, but there, I think we just had a lot of suggestions from people, you know, writers and people who are interested in the route say why not go all the way up to Banff, and so we did, and that route 
we still use the one that I researched from um, from Banff, from Banff to uh, Sparwood, I think. But then a few years later, uh, maybe around 2010, Matthew Lee of, of uh, Tour Divide fame pioneered a new route through the Flathead River Valley and, and the, the route that we now call the main route um, that you, I'm sure you've been on up that big hill down the steep hill to the to, to the uh, crossing U.S. crossing. Uh, so we still use that old route, which which involves a little more. It's easier, more more civilized, and uses uh, more dirt and, and paved roads. But we still use that as call that the Fernie alternate. But the main route now follows that flathead route, and that I think I think I said that it was probably uh, maybe you remember 2010, 2011, somewhere in there. Yeah, it sounds about right. I, I, I guess, yeah, I was, I was curious whether it was, I, I wasn't sure like what piece came first. Was it Matthew Lee um, wanting to extend the race up to Canada, which then uh, in turn uh, encouraged uh, ACA to, to map the route or, you know, was it, was it um, you guys first and then him um, kind of following your lead? I, I wasn't sure which one came first. So it sounds like... I, I don't have- yeah, I don't remember his, the the race or, or Matthew's idea being the spark. I think we did it first. Okay, so then then he he was the the impetus for the the Flathead Valley uh, section, <laughs> which which some people uh, can either thank or um, uh, get quite frustrated by. I'm sure that's uh, that's correct. Yeah, that that is. Yeah, I did the re- we were researching the uh, the new edition, the new being. 2012 edition of the, the Great Divide Guidebook. We did uh, did a group tour. About 12 of us did the whole Canadian section back in uh, 2012. And and uh, one of the young ladies who was carrying her, uh, you know, left her bike down the road, she was manhandling her Bob trailer up that steep hill. Oh, she yeah. says, right, oh, right now I could kill Matthew Lee. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, so the 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 section I think you're referring to is uh, called the the wall, which um, hikes out of uh, it's the the Wigwam uh, River uh, Valley, I believe. So heading up, yeah, uh-huh. yep. yeah heading up towards um, it would be uh, Galton uh, Pass. So right. Yeah, you have it comes up, ends up on that log landing on a, on a closed logging road, and then you jump onto the uh, gravel road at that point. Yeah, that's that's it makes for quite a uh, uh, um, quite a complex uh, opening uh, prologue for for the tour to five before you even get in into the U.S. It's it's kind of a breath uh, breath of yeah. fresh air once you hit Eureka and you kind of can relax for a little bit. But uh, uh, okay, well that, that that's kind of cool to hear. And so one of the one of the things we we chatted about before um, I started recording here is. Um, yeah, I'm trying to picture the environment of, of mapping the road and, um, you know, at the, at the time, so in the eighties and nineties, uh, so mountain biking, like mountain biking, as we know it, mountain bikes, uh, are just kind of starting to come into the mix. Um, and tours, as, as you mentioned, uh, you know, previously had, had just been really confined to the, the asphalt world. Uh, mountain biking was more just like what you did on the trails around town for the day. Um, so you're mapping this huge long, uh, through trail for, for mountain biking. And, um, you know, I'm picturing you going up and over, uh, some of these passes initially and encountering, uh, avalanche debris and, 
you know, having to hike and, um, you know, go over some very challenging terrain. And, you know, like for, for me, when I, when I'm working on my guidebook right now, I mentioned like I use what you did and, uh, you know, other trails like the Arizona trail as, as a reference point to say, this is what is tough, you know, but it still can be done and hundreds of people have been done it. So it is an acceptable standard, but you didn't have that standard, uh, necessarily when you're creating the route. So, you know, what, what was it like, um, you know, what was going through your mind when you would get to those, you know, that those sections of that were flooded out or had avalanche debris, um, you know, what was going through your mind? Well, the, I, I, I know what you mean. Um, I think I touched on that a little bit in the, in the reason we decided not to use single track so much, but then, yeah, the kind of thing you're talking about was more, well, that particular instance was more of a logistical challenge for me than it was for riders. It would be for riders because it wasn't that tough of a climb or, or anything. But, uh, yeah, I got to the, we were, I had a, well, the, back up the uh, uh, Flanagan Motors in Missoula gave us the use of a brand-new Jeep Cherokee for, for however long we needed it, which ended up being three years, which was a real windfall because we, I don't, you know, person could I mean maybe you're doing it all riding too but to to try to do the great divide back in those days before gps and cell phones and everything try to map it just using a bicycle i'd still be out there i think <laughs> so there was so much process of elimination and you know driving up a road for 60 miles or and getting to a point where oh we can't do this this, this isn't going to work so go back you know back to the drawing board but that yeah that particular instance you're talking about was uh june of 95, I think. And I was driving with a forest service guy who was helping me, uh, helping me out from Eureka, Montana, up the Yakinakak divide over the whitefish range. And, uh, we got to almost the top and ran into a, a debris, uh, an avalanche debris left over from winter that had just had trees in it and a lot of snow. And it was, it was maybe, you know, 30 feet long, but in t- just, not passable in a, in a vehicle. So I took this guy back to Eureka and I drove around and took me about the most of that, the rest of that day and half the next day to get to the other side of that snow pile. <laughs> so that was, a, that was, that was another uh, learning experiment, learning experience. And then that next night, I mean the night, the very same night I got to the campground near Pole Ridge, Montana, in the, in the U S flathead Valley we call it the North Fork when it comes into the U.S. Uh, and it was a deluge, and I got out of there. In fact, I think I left in the middle of the night because it just didn't feel right. And then I, I heard that the, the town of Polebridge, it's a small town, uh, became a, surrounded by a lake. It became an island, and there were several people in the campground that I was at who were stranded for a couple of days. So that was, uh, it was just too wet to do anything. So I went back to Missoula for a couple of weeks and, and resumed, uh, you know, after that, after we had a little more dry weather and the snow and rain went away. You just, you just reminded me two things. One, I, I have regrets that I have still not been to Pole Bridge. I heard it's a pretty unique little, uh, little stop, um, because on the, the divide route bypasses, um, yeah bypass is going there. So I, I, I think I'm going to try to get there this year, but the other piece that I just thought of was, um, so the, the Flathead Valley, um, so the Canadian side, you go up and over 
Galton Pass uh, from from up up the cabin for service road and and at the the corner there is the Butts Patrol cabin. But in theory, you could keep going south. Like I, I'm curious when you were originally mapping the road um, because that, as I understand it, that road goes down into the North Fork as you mentioned, which the divide route ends up connecting back to. But you have to kind of go up and over the the range to the other side and then back and up and over. Um, when you were mapping it, was was there a border patrol that you could actually go through? Or um, no, that and that's. I mean, it, yeah, that's the sensible way. That's interesting because I had some uh, had dinner with some friends last night, and Charlie was asking me the same thing. Is they're planning on going up there this summer? Yeah, there was a border crossing there until 2001, and they closed it after the after nine And as far as I know, I haven't heard any plans of reopening it. It was a very laid back uh, border crossing that uh, the, my friend who used to own the, the uh, North Fork Hostel in Pole Ridge said that he, they could go up there, used to go up there and up into BC and party at night and come back. The, they, there was nobody working, but the, the guards just said, oh, just let yourself back in, that, that kind of thing. That that went away with, with uh, 9-11. So did, did um, I'm trying to just remember all my timelines here. So does that happen just as you're, finishing up the, the mapping or had you already had you already planned to, to detour around that point no see the we when i finished the route research it was 1997 and we had no plans to go into canada so the the idea of even going to canada didn't come around until about probably 2002 right okay okay that makes sense okay um, okay. So, uh, interesting. So I got to get to pole bridge and, uh, don't cross the border. Um, it's, it's still not crossable as far as I understand. Um, so it brings up an interesting point. So how does, how does, uh, you know, your, yourself and, um, the adventure cycling association, how do they stay on top of, um, ever changing routes? Like I've done the, the, the divide route twice now and both times that I've done it, it's, it's changed uh, considerably in sections. Um, I, I'm not for the race in particular. I'm not sure if, if that's necessarily the case for the official map, but uh, I imagine to some, some regard, you're, you're always dealing with, um, you know, changes with, with land agreements and access, you know, how, how does, how do you guys stay on top of that sort of thing? Well, the, the, we have the on the website the uh, addendas to all, all of our routes, including the Great Divide, and the changes. And yeah, there are, there are several changes or many changes probably every summer. Uh, riders, maybe a staffer that's doing the route, or or a rider will write in with this correction or this suggestion, and we'll post those on the addendum page for the Great Divide. In this case, until. Uh, it's time to redo the maps, and I guess we probably do the redo the maps every three years or so, and then we would incorporate those changes at that point on the actual maps. Yeah, so I, I was just thinking, whenever I do the race and I, I start tapping back into the forums, there's always a bit of anxiety with what is the current edition of the ACA uh, map that we need to be following. So. Um, to, to kind of calm everyone's nerves, it's in between uh, the additions, just print off the addenda as far as uh, changes to the map cues. Um, okay, well, um, I think we got the, the gist of uh, how the, the divide route was created and your, your involvement and 
I can't remember if you mentioned it, but uh, it, I under, also understand that REI had a big, uh, big role in, in kind of uh, making it feasible for for all the work you were doing. Is that right? They did. They they supported it to the tune of uh, over the years, I think sixty thousand dollars. Wow! And Angel Rodriguez, Angel Rodriguez, who was on our our board and the REI board, was uh, instrumental in in gaining that support, and that was that was a huge, huge. Uh, advantage that the use of the jeep like i mentioned before and the the adopt a mile program that we initiated where people could buy in quotes a mile of the route and have their name applied to the maps that that was very successful too we raised a lot of money to help with the research in that program wow that's that's great so I think we've 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 covered the the basis of the divide and uh, selfishly I, I'd be curious to to get some some tips from you as far as the the guidebook uh, writing process. So you've written the uh, the you've not only worked on the maps but you've you've written an, an actual uh, companion book, uh, Cycling the Great Divide, which uh, flushes out the cues, provides a bit more background uh, on the areas. Um, so you. You, you're ahead of me on this one. You've got more experience. So for the, the, the writer that I am, you know, what kind of tips can you pass along for, for writing a guidebook from, from your experience? Like things you, you always tried to keep in mind while you were on the ground or, um, you know, uh, while you were back in your, your den writing, you know, what are some tips you could pass along? Yeah. That, uh, something I didn't mention and I should have earlier, uh, cause this was also part of, the the ladder of inspiration uh, back in 1989 and 1990, I wrote guidebooks that were published by the Mountaineers, the Seattle Mountaineers. Uh, the first one was to the Northern Rockies, so it was uh, parts of Montana, Wyoming, and Idaho. And then in 1990, I did a Four Corners guidebook for, for the Mountaineers, and I learned a lot in doing those guidebooks. My first one, uh, I gave too much information when it was when it came time to. To, to tell people how to get from point A to point B, I was included way. I realized I included way more than people needed, so I I learned to cut back on that and uh, only mention uh, basically only mention important uh, navigational things when you have a turn or when maybe a point of interest that kind of thing. I, uh, but um, the, the, as far as the, yeah, as far as the narrative itself goes, that that's something I would keep in mind. Uh, you know, picture, I'm sure you do, picture yourself out there, how much you need to know and how much is just extra stuff that has people, have, have people looking at the books when they don't need to. Now, the background information, I just, when I was, anytime I'd going through an area, I, I, I would write down what uh, interested me. And like in the, in the Great Divide Guidebook, every Day's ride, you know, we, I'm sure you're familiar with this. Every day's ride, which we have about 73, I think now, with Canada in there, try to remember or look at what I wrote down, what interested me uh, on that day in particular. I might be, might go through a forest of large trees or something that that would be uh, unusual for people coming in from from other areas, and so I would write about the natural history of the large tree or or different kinds of history, things like that. Hmm. Yeah. Um, so when you were on the ground, did you, do you have like a little notebook, a little camera? Like, did you have kind of a, a set, set, set of tools that you would carry with you just for the, the guidebook purposes? 
Yeah, this, this was very primitive, of course. This was before, in my case, anyway, GPS and, and cell phones and everything. I would carry a handheld uh, reel-to-reel tape recorder <laughs> and, and talk into it, stop if I had to, but many times I would carry it in the in a fanny pack in front of me, in my, in my front, and pull the uh, handheld tape recorder out and record into that as I was going along, and then transcribe the notes once I was back in the in front of the you know, on paper or computer. Excellent. So do you have any... Early ones, I guess the 89 guidebook, I wasn't even on computer yet, so that, I don't remember how I did that. <laughs> so uh, do you have any other guidebooks on the go right now? You mentioned you were... So are, is it just the, the map that you're putting together for that Chicago uh, row? Like what, 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 what is your involvement with that piece? The, uh, I'm doing the, 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 the map... I'm not doing the map or any of the cartography, but I'm writing the writing the field notes, kind of the same sort of thing I just described, the natural history and geology history of the area that people will be writing through. And that about approximately 2,000 words of that kind of information goes on each map, in this case six maps uh, from Chicago to New York City. So that's what I'm working on. Okay. And uh, other than the, the Great Divide uh, section, are there any um, other routes that you were involved with that uh, deal with or, or go through through Canada? I, I know there's the Northern Tier. Did you, do you have involvement with that? I did. I, I did some of the work on that back in the early 80s, and uh, I've helped. I didn't do the original research, but I've helped update the Great Parks North, which goes from Missoula to uh, Jasper. And uh, let's see, what else? Uh, yeah. Oh, uh, that reminds me, I know this wasn't your question, but we we do have and, and plan to do more uh, bikepacking-type routes. Uh, probably there's nothing on the drawing board as long as Great Divide, but what, a short one that we have done, short being 290 miles, is called the Utah Cliffs Loop. I don't know if you've seen that or not on the on the website. That's a real, really nice route out of St. George, Utah, that goes up into the mountains. And it's a, it's not very, uh, it's not ridden that much. And I think primarily because the, the uh, perfect season is so short, because the elevations range range from about 3,000 at St. George to over 10,000 up in the up in the mountains. So the, you know, whether it's by the time the snow finally melts up to 10,000 feet, if it's July, it's too hot in St. George. So September and October are probably the times when most people ride it. So does that does that route head over towards uh, Kanab then? It doesn't go through Kanab, but it it does go through uh, uh, um, what's the name of the park? Uh, uh, yeah, it escapes me. I know the area you're talking about, though. Yeah, it goes through Cedar Breaks and then Zion. Goes to Zion, yeah. Zion, the gravel roads. To a lot of really, the, the descent from Navajo Lake, which is up on the high plateau, to down into Zion is a spectacular gravel downhill. That's, I'd like to go do that again. Okay, well, I'd, I'll definitely keep tabs on that. Cause I was thinking my my last experience at that area was finishing the Arizona Trail. Um, so. You know, as you might know, you kind of finish uh, out in the middle of nowhere near near uh, Page, and then if you you're you're you don't have a ride, you basically have to ride the asphalt into well past Canab and um, over to St. George, and um, over to Canab is fine, but from that from there until St. George, it's a terrible uh, road, lots of traffic, very little 
shoulder. Uh, so it's good to know that there's some some bike packing routes uh, starting to happen in the area for sure. Yeah, and that that uh, what you touched on there is the, the beauty of bike packing to me. Whether you're on a trail or a gravel road, is just getting away from the traffic. Cool. Well, we we've covered a lot of really cool things here, and I'm I'm hoping that the listeners uh, learned a lot about the divide route. I know it comes up all the time, and especially at our summit, we talked. It seemed like nonstop about uh, the divide. Selfishly, it's a big passion of uh, mine and the, the the featured guests that we had. But it, you know, the reality is is we're right in the thick of it, so it's it's natural to talk about it. So it's it's. Um, it's been really beneficial to to get some more insight to to the genesis um, of it all, and um, it's it's been really great to to get to know you a little bit, uh, Mac. And um, you know, to a large extent, I, I consider you uh, a mentor for for what I'm doing, and I'm just yeah, really appreciative because the divide, like I said in the opening. Um, well, intro there is it's been a, a great passion of mine, not only for the the racing, but you know, I ran a supported tour along the route for, for three years or part of the route down to Whitefish. And, um, you know, I've got this guidebook and it's really where, you know, Bikepack Canada wouldn't exist without the, the work that uh, you did. So I just want to say thank you very much for, for um, you know, having the idea to put this all together. Well, thanks a lot, Ryan. I appreciate that. And thank you for carrying the ball and doing what you're doing in Canada and elsewhere. Cool. Well, let's uh, let's finish off with what, what's what's next on the the retired guys plate. What what are you looking forward to this year? Oh, let's see. What a, uh, trying to stop taking on so many freelance projects. So I really am retired. <laughs> I'd like to do some travel, including uh, I would like to. My wife and I have a four wheel uh, four wheel camper. It's called a pop up camper on our Toyota uh, Tacoma. I'd like to get up into the the uh, Gulf Islands of, of BC this summer uh, and poke around there a little bit, probably take our, our salsa bikes so we can ride on pavement and off pavement and just explore that area. So, Well, excellent. Well, make sure to, to look me up if you're back in the, the, the Canmore area anytime soon. Very well. All right. Well, have a, have a great afternoon and, and thank you very much uh, for your time, Michael. Bye. Talk to you later. Yeah. Bye now.